My way of growing the orchestra was to go and speak to as many mayors and CEOs of local governments. And there was, I identified a market of 139 shires in WA, all of whom could use music as a way to connect their community. Welcome to Startup West, the podcast about Western Australian startup founders who have been there and done it or are right here and doing it in WA. My name is Steve Elias. And my name is Chris Tan. And before we start, we'd like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast in the land of the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. I'd also like to thank our sponsors. Startup West is produced by Startup News and sponsored by the City of Perth, RSM, Space Cubed, TechOn, Curtin University. In this episode, we speak with Bobby Webster, founder and former CEO. Bobby, welcome to Startup West. Congratulations on the success of your startup business, Perth Symphony Orchestra. You founded the business back in 2009, a true WA success. Today, the WA startup community are all excited to learn from you and the journey you've endured. Can you take us back to 2009? Please tell us about the beginnings of your startup business. Goodness me, thanks for having me. Gosh, 2009 feels a lifetime ago now, doesn't it? Oh, look, um, I, since moving to Australia in the year 2000, had um, really seen the opportunity for a second professional symphony orchestra in the state. We already had a magnificent state run symphony and um but I, I saw a huge opportunity to get an orchestra that got out of the concert hall and into the community um and particularly in the uk where we have orchestras touring to fields all over the country um with catchment areas of you know an hour and a half where twenty thousand people would turn up in a field and watch an orchestra and in fact it is the most accessible way to experience classical music as a kid you can run around you can run up to the stage look up and see violinists bowing above you you know you can't run up to a stage in a concert mm, hall. Mm. So I was pretty determined to find a way to make this work. But the idea had come in 2000. Um, I didn't even start trying to even work out how to do this until 2009. Got very clear instructions that it was already challenging enough to fund one orchestra. So oh. no hope to fund another. Um, although in my head, I kept thinking, surely if a product has value and appeals, then people will want to pay. Yeah. So surely there is a model that's going to work. And goodness me, could I not work out what this model was? And it was a very fortuitous phone conversation in the foyer of the university club at UWA, where a dear friend of mine from the business school um, was hearing me moan about how am I going to do this? Where do I get the capital from Mm. to put a major orchestra on a stage where the stage costs hundreds of thousands and the musicians Mm -hmm. need rehearsing and stage managers and timpani drums and music stands and chairs and toilets and fences and everything. I was like, I just, I'm not seeing how to do this. And she was like, Gary will know. Gary needs an orchestra. And I didn't know who Gary was. So thanks, Gary Ellis. He happened to be walking into his office. He was the CEO of the university club. And Bev beckoned him over and said, Gary, it's 100 years of UWA next year. And surely you guys are going to want to celebrate at the club for all the members and do something big. And Gary's like, yeah. And she said, an orchestra. He went, oh, that's interesting. Come and I literally went straight into his office, sat down and we scoped it out in the back of an envelope. And he said, yep, look, we've got a target database of this. We've got tickets of that. We can help underwrite it. So the next thing we knew, we had a gala concert. Perth Symphony was born, took until November 2011 for us to actually make that happen. And it was literally from that moment like popcorn. The minute people saw the kind of energy, the joy of, you know, and obviously I'd given a home to a whole bunch of world-class freelance players in Western Australia for the first time, they could come together in a meaningful way. So the energy on stage was really quite exceptional. 
And um, Simone Horgan from Lewin Estate was in the audience and came up saying, you know, we've got a major challenge with the February concert and big artist has um, unfortunately rerouted their um, tour. Mm. Any chance we could consider pulling together a concert? And we did. And so we did the Lewin concert, which is extraordinary. Yeah, and that's very cool. off it went. So, you know, we were born. We were, we were on our way. Fantastic. And um, Bobby, how much has it changed or pivoted since that time? Oh, gosh. Um, several times. The core reason we set out, though, has never wavered. So when people said, why do we need another symphony orchestra for Western Australia? And I was like, the exodus of talent when I first was, you know, off the boat. Mm. I was 25 years old and playing with lots of people and every conversation was around when they were leaving and where they were going. Mm. And I was just like, so hang on, any gifted young artist is getting on a plane out of here. How, what does that leave for us? You know, I want to hear you play. I want to experience your magic. So, you know, reason number one was to keep them in the state. And reason number two was to reach every West Australian, regardless of where they lived. WA is so geographically enormous. And Mm. Perth is, now I understand, the longest city in the world. From north to south, we are more (laughs) geographically spread than anywhere else. So for someone who lives at the bottom or the top to get into the Mm, CBD for a concert. So that never wavered that we... That was our guiding principle. I think one of the biggest shifts um, was that initially I didn't have any of my own, particularly, I'm going to put my life savings into it, which was not great, let me tell you, um, was that I needed to find clients to hire us. As the orchestra grew and we were able to put a margin away, we then could underwrite and produce our own performances, which was huge to start running our own ticketed events because we could then control everything and do everything I'd always wanted to do. So that was a big change that we began producing more. The second thing was there was still a vast number of people that were like, you know, Bob's great, you know, glad you're doing this. But honestly, orchestra is not my thing, mate. You know, just rather see the Rolling Stones. And so <laughs> I, I really couldn't persuade people to come. So I thought, you know what? Yeah, what if I played Nirvana? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah you know. And I'm like, awesome, yeah. crap, now how mm-hmm. do I get a symphony orchestra playing Nirvana? But we did it. And mm-hmm. we literally turned an orchestra. There were no guitars. Like the orchestra was the rock beast. And so we shifted from doing more pure classical, which I still think is some of the greatest art alive in the world today um, and as timeless. But the barrier for people you know, their perception of boring, stuffy, traditional for old people, all of those things mm. was insurmountable. Even if I said, no, come and listen in a field with a glass of wine under your hand, in your hand, under the stars, I promise you, you know, listening to um, Rossini's whatever, you know, is going to set your heart on fire. No. Mm. So we had to shift and start playing all music, but with a very um, honourable commitment to playing exceptional orchestral music where the instruments play idiomatically. So yeah, there were, you know, I mean, look, that's just two of many shifts that we had to make. That's amazing. Like I, I'm sorry, but I probably be in that, that category of uh, maybe not classical music, but um, I think as I've got older, maybe it's changed a bit, but yeah, no, definitely. I I think, I think it's all like, yeah, really, really cool. I think it's so. Well, the thing is today, you know, the vast majority of music that young people are listening to is gaming and a huge percent of that is orchestral and some of the most brilliantly written classical compositions. So the sound world of an orchestra is now making a comeback and Mm. young people particularly, well, not young people, I mean, lots of people are gaming, are very familiar with that sound. What they're scared of 
is the rules and the traditions and the stuffiness of how we've packaged it for far yeah, too long. Sure. Yeah. So it's it's literally just changing changing that. It can be quite a sh- um, yeah, absolutely. Shift. That'd be like um, off tro- slightly off topic, but like um, the. 2020, 2021 Olympics, uh, during the opening ceremony, they were doing the, um, the, the, the instrumental music as people walking through and they were all, um, classical soundtracks from, um, classical Japanese video games. There you go. So yeah. So yeah. Like that. And Japan is leading the way. Yeah. Extraordinary music <laughs> coming out, the anime soundtracks and, oh, it's just wonderful. Yeah. There's so many themes, so many, um, options and avenues that you can go. Um, so what we want to ask it, well, what I want to ask is, um, to date, uh, what are some of the challenges or the big successes that um, you've had? Oh, look, clearly the biggest challenge is what we've just been discussing. Yeah. How do you persuade someone that they want to need something that they think they don't want to need <laughs> and aren't prepared to pay for? I mean, literally, I, I'm out there trying to sell a product and a service that no one has any real comprehension of and any desire for. So, um, you know, the, the the challenge of branding, packaging, storytelling, finding ways to connect, finding who to speak to, who, who can change that um, mm. has been a massive journey. So I've definitely learned the skill of storytelling. Um, it's had to be very, it was very Borby centric for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Thankfully that's changed. Now the orchestra's proven itself 10 times over, thank goodness. So those kind of storytelling, look, funding was always an issue. So gosh, it would take me too long to talk to you about the saga and the journey that we've been on. But suffice to say, you know, there was one meeting I had with the Department of Jobs, Tourism, Science and Innovation, where on their big screen in their lobby were all the projects they've invested in. And I think the smallest one listed was 22 million. And I, in the meeting, explained to them that down the road at the Department of Local Government, Sport and Cultural Industries, where I was funded from, that there were 47 companies sharing 18 million. Mm-hmm. And we were we're supposed to have some kind of economic impact and we're supposed to be changing the world. But if you're going to split, you know, 18 million between a vast number of... And I know I'm being very simplistic here, but that is literally, um, in a nutshell, what, what we face, that the word investment and arts do not go together, and yet they absolutely can and mm. should. Um, so, you know, that that funding challenge, the, the minute you mention the word not-for-profit, everyone's mindset changes and you get crumbs. Whereas I'm like, no, I'm very, I was very committed to making a very large profit because those funds could do extraordinary things for us. But as an NFP, you instantly get put in a different box. And as soon as you add the arts word to it, then you've pretty much signed a, <laughs> yeah. a we will stay small and insignificant yes. um, promise to everybody. So sure. yeah, that all of those kind of things are mental perceptions, both from the audience, from governments, from sponsors. Um, you know, so you're really fighting against perception to get the company up and running. So, Bobby, thank you for that. Uh, obviously, funding is a major concern or issue or, or obstacle for a lot of startups. I guess as an extension to that, um, any advisors or a board or mentors along the way that perhaps assisted with the directionality? Oh, look, um, we started out as a private company. That was the fastest way to get going. Sure. So, um, and I'd already set up a little music company called North Street Music and Perth Symphony was a trading name for a long time. So I think the musicians found it very weird invoicing something Mm -hmm. that didn't say Perth Symphony Orchestra (laughs) for, and even clients, you know, so it sort of got to the point where we needed to make a decision about where this was going to go. And look, I still don't know if I made the right decision. I think this is probably one of the biggest challenges that a lot of people face is what structure and how to put that right. But one of the benefits of turning the company into a not-for-profit and a charity was having a board. 
And I think I'd been very naive in thinking that I was going to know everything. And if I didn't know, I could ask. There is nothing like having eight people around a table on a regular basis from diverse industries to really, um, quite frankly, ask dumb questions when you realise you can't answer what should be a straightforward question that you've got work to do. So yes, the board of directors, whilst um, in some ways is a thing that slows you down, writing board papers (laughs) can be the most painful <laughs> and you know they need to be across things because of the governance and liability bit um it's really made me understand that surrounding myself with senior experienced people with wisdom from other industries um is utterly priceless good one that's yeah thank you for the insight um while raising money for perth symphony orchestra tell us about the difficulty uh, around that or whether or not um, you had some easy success um and also if you've Got any tips that you learned uh, that you could share? Oh gosh, so many. Look, it, it, raising money when you're not from a place and you didn't go to school in a place and you have no family in a place and you're not remotely connected in a place um, is a ridiculously um, uphill struggle because credibility and trust mean the world. And if you don't even have a, any kind of family connection or school connection mm. where people have some form of context as to who you are, how you operate, ridiculously hard. So my way of growing the orchestra was to go and speak to as many mayors and CEOs of local governments. And there mm-hmm. was I identified a market of 139 shires in WA, all of whom could use music as a way to connect their community. And the th- staggeringly brilliant thing about music mm-hmm. is that an 80-year-old female and a 60-year-old boy can enjoy the same experience, whereas it's very hard for those two to play football together, for example. <laughs> sure. So it is a no no gender, no age, no race boundary activity. Um, and so we became a tool for local governments to use to connect their communities in a really meaningful, exciting way on an annual basis. So we had a significant revenue stream of being hired um, to fulfill a purpose. So we became a business to business company, much more than a, you think of an orchestra playing to an audience, mm. but the audience weren't our customer because most audiences would have said, you know, if you were going to ask us what we want, we'd probably say Jimmy Barnes. Um, <laughs> He's coming soon. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, there is nothing wrong with Jimmy. He is extraordinary, but um, it's a very different experience for a community. It's mm. a, an orchestra is a much safer in yeah. a way, you know, you're not going to have with all due respect, Jimmy, but you know, there's usually some beer cans on the grass and some Yes. Well, hey, yeah. I don't know, like Jimmy Barnes with an orchestra background, that could be pretty cool. Oh, do you know what? Wouldn't that be a dream, right? right? I know. And I think he'd love it. He's Shout such out. a musician. Yeah. He's Guys, a we've just come up with something. <laughs> yeah. Didn't they do that about 20 years ago with Enzo? Yes. Yeah. yeah there have been a lot of, and it does, it adds a whole dimension. I mean, talk about, you know, the biggest rock band in the world. As soon as a singer gets with an orchestra, like yeah. the oomph is quite Absolutely. something else. So, Brilliant. yeah. So look, that. That, that was very much a revenue stream. And look, we did start working with more contemporary artists um, and that kind of thing. But when it came to supplement that to say, okay, but how do we take the orchestra to communities that can't afford it? What about those shires mm-hmm. that don't have enough people or enough rates to be able to have enough savings yeah. to pay for an orchestra to come? You know, what about the opportunity to really enhance the lives of thousands of disadvantaged people, What, regardless of what that was, whether it's going into prisons or working with indigenous communities, all the things that I was like, I know that music is a common language. We can have an impact. Who pays for that? Took me a while to work that out. And it was like, I really do need some philanthropic and foundational support. Mm. Um, A very fortuitous meeting with Tim Roberts, um, who's known as one of the heirs of the multiplex empire, but now in his own right, an amazing entrepreneur and businessman. And 
I couldn't believe that I had a 20 minute conversation with him thanks to an introduction. And, you know, this was six, seven years into mm. running the orchestra. This is how long it takes for people to even feel that they want to introduce you to their high net worth friends. Um, Tim's support literally after 20 minutes of listening was like, I just love your vision and I love what you're out to do. Like, who do I write the check out to? So that was a game changer because Tim then was like, how do we also get some support? Um, and whilst I met Andrew and Nicola Forrest through a different channel, again, I think it would have taken a lot longer and been a lot slower had Tim not then phoned and said, by the way, I'm supporting Borby. I feel that what she's doing and gave them confidence in the Mindaroo Foundation through Andrew and Nicola Forrest also then realised our vision. And by that point, I'd got a track record. I, sh I could show great fiscal management. I could show benefit, qualifiable, mm. quantifiable data. So it wasn't, I didn't need other people to give me a good rap. My own business could speak that for me. Yeah. But um, yeah, so look, the, the generosity of individuals more recently has been really, really significant. Terrific. Bobby, uh, when the business is today... Uh, what do you believe are the next phases of growth and achievement uh, over the next, let's say, three to five years? Look, the biggest critical thing is that I'm no longer there. Okay. Um, and that to me was so important that I always had an out strategy when I got in, that I mm -hmm. put a timeline yeah, yeah. on it. So I'd always said 10 years, um, which felt like a I mean, it was a huge chunk of my life. Like for anyone starting yeah. out a business, thinking 10 years from now, it feels a very long way away. But I knew that that was how long it was going to be to change the hearts and minds. Because as we say, I was changing perception more than anything else. Um, so I always had a plan to get out. COVID hit, smashing that one out of the park. You can't leave an organization in the middle of COVID. But the um, what I did was separate my roles. So I was both creative and um, strategic. Mm. Um, so we've appointed a brilliant CEO in Catherine Henwood and a brilliant creative director in Fiona Campbell. So splitting my role in two, which meant suddenly there could be a much greater focus on the creative side and a much greater focus on the business side, which I think is going to be the greatest success factor for this organization in the next five years, that they now have a two brains, not one. There, it you know, it's a very different thing to grow a business compared to starting a business and requires a different mindset and a different skill set. And whilst I think I've done a good job in, you know, getting it to where it's got, um, and I've still had lots of ideas, don't get me wrong, um, and felt, of course, on paper I could run it, but I can already see the difference it's making. So knowing when to let go has been such a huge thing, you know, and I, is there a right time? I don't know, but is it right? Yes. What I've done is mm. definitely right. And I think that's an extremely important point for all, all startup companies is that you do have your, let's say, founding technical person, uh, the, the the brains trust, the innovator. But as the business grows and fair enough, they have to bootstrap for a little while and make mm -hmm. ends meet. But eventually making that separation and saying, listen, I'm coming into a bigger corporation now. I, do, I definitely need to get the right people around me as advisors or executive people to, to really grow the strategy moving forward. And that separation is, is quite important. So, so thank you for your insights on that one. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, Bobby, um, how would you describe the local startup scene here in WA? Oh, do you know, um, obviously I had absolutely no idea of what a startup is or was. I didn't even call myself an <laughs> entrepreneur. It took a long time and, you know, Charlie Gunningham, who you both well know, um, to, to even put that in the same phrase as me, you know, a while ago. So, um, you know, that was quite exceptional for me to even think about entrepreneurship as a thing that I was part of. On the journey, though, I've met a number of people who've started up 
not just arts businesses, but other businesses. I'm hugely excited by what I see going on around me. I think the main thing is the actual ambition that people aren't starting out to do something small that, you know, they're really setting what I call BHAGs, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals. And I find, <laughs> I find that so contagious that when I'm in a room with someone here in Perth and I'm talking about, you know, some of the things that I think need to happen and can happen and that I want to do and hear that they then retaliate with, well, guess this is actually worth the space I'm working in. It's unbelievably motivational. So look, as ever, I think um, it could be quadruple um, the size that it is mm-hmm. based on the kind of thinking that I think there's a lot of people that haven't yet given themselves permission to be a startup or um, explore that potential as much as yeah. possible. It's It's been more of a challenge for me to find out what support is out there. I'm obviously now in that space again and I'm asking these questions and you do have to dig. You know, I'm realizing, okay, where is the venture capital? Where are the, you know, places where entrepreneurs and innovators come together. I went to TechFest West for the first time um, this year and saw the, um, was it the Plus 8, is it called, or the 8? Um, yes. Yeah, the Plus 8 demo nights. Wow. I mean, it, like yeah. until this year, I mean, hello, I've been running an entrepreneurial business for 12 years, but until this year, I didn't even know about those kind of things. Right, yep. And whilst they're not geared to the arts, well, you know, there is an app that I think has a very massive place to play in the arts. And I'm like, oh, so that's where I'd go. (laughs) So I think, um, look, it's hugely exciting because it yet hasn't reached its full potential. Um, You still got to work quite hard to find out about it, Mm. but that digging is worth it. And the thing is that it now is there, that there really is a groundswell, that there really are the foundations in place of support, you know, organisations, funding, mentorship that is there for all of us. So I think that's really, really promising for the future. Warby, what companies or people have impressed you to date that you've seen in the WA startup community? Oh my goodness me. Do you know, my first kind of real big wow kind of in the innovation space was actually being asked to present on a panel for RAC and discovering that Erica Haddon had kind of got this remit to set up a whole business within a business to innovate and invest. And I, I thought that was visionary. You know, that was just something yeah. I've not seen a big organization do before. And I would love to see way more do that. Um, I followed the rise of Canva. Great. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you right. go girl. Like, <laughs> oh, what a, you know, what an amazing, amazing thing. And I had the joy of meeting Olivia Humphreys, who also had set up her um, company. So look, obviously, um, particularly women in the space, I find it, it just gives me reassurance that I'm not out on a limb here and I'm you know, that there are other extraordinary women out there doing extraordinary things. Um, But also just meeting Charlie and I put together an innovation tribe. I called it the Pit Crew, PSO Innovation um, (laughs) Tribe, Pit, Um, who basically I was pulling together people that think entrepreneurially to tell me what was going on in this space. So were there any businesses that we could attach to, align with, grow with, connect with? And the stories that I heard, whether it was new fencing models for concerts or, I mean, just, my God, there's, you know, you can pretty much innovate in any area if you see something could be done better. And I found that really, really interesting. That is awesome. That's very cool. What can we do better at? Um, Have you seen any gaps? Oh, the PR side. Like we we really need to sing the successes. You know, as I say, I had to dig and I still have to dig to hear the stories, find the stories. So, Um, like all sectors, it's easy within your sector. So, you know, like um, I understand with Startup News, which was to be a voice for 
um, Western Australian startups. And that's great if you're in the startup sector and you read startup news. But, you know, this needs to be in our mainstream media, the conversations about successes and ideas and um, individuals that are leading the way need to be, I think, or could be there's such an opportunity to to grow that um, profile of success because it's hugely motivating. I think you'd see a groundswell of people getting involved um, if if more stories were somehow getting through. And I know that everyone is trying their hardest. Yeah. So it's just, you know, keep at it, keep that, keep the success stories coming. Lovely. And a shout out to the Startup West podcast sponsors. The Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Space Cubed, Curtin University, RSM, the City of Perth and TechOn. Well, Bobby, we're going to flex and jump into a bit of your personal story, if we may. Can we take you back through your career from your school days? Uh, where were you born and raised? Oh, my goodness. Well, clearly I'm English. I'm told it's blatantly obvious from my, all, my, all my English mates. Like, God, you sound Aussie. I'm like, no, not over there. I don't. <laughs> so I'm 23 years in Australia and love this country more than I can possibly say. But apparently I'm very English. Look, I grew up in the West Country um, in England, in Gloucestershire, in the Forest of Dean, in a very rural location in a house under an oak tree. We Yes, it's very... Badgers by the back door and deer on the front lawn. So, um, you know, listening to owls at night, like you could hear a pin drop where I grew up. It was absolutely beautiful, but stunningly musical. Like, you know, even my village had two choirs, a guitar ensemble. You know, I mean, it was just, you know, music is in our DNA in the UK. So um, by a lot of fortuitous and strange things, um, fell in love with music and music. became a viola player. And I'd never thought actually that I would be a professional viola player, but I thought I would be in music and what that looked Mm. like, I didn't know. But I was blessed enough to go to Oxford University. And what was extraordinary about that university was you didn't need to play an instrument to go. It's a completely academic university. So, you know, um, it would be um, right about the commonalities between the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper album and Shostakovich's Fifth Symphony you know, that was the kind of assignment we got set. So really stuff that makes yeah. you think and dig yeah. and all the rest of it. But li- that university is a film set. Um, it is literally a film set and 26 orchestras of which I probably played in all of them and ceremony and tradition and history and such rich music making. But whilst there, I took up the sport of rowing, wrote a business plan for an accounting firm based in London um, didn't know what a business plan was or an accounting firm, but managed to get a huge amount of sponsorship out of them um, for my college boat club and ended up working for an accounting firm when I moved to London. And, you know, suddenly I had my eyes open to the idea of business mm-hmm. and what it could do and that money facilitates art. Who knew? Yes. Who yeah. knew? <laughs> In fact, money facilitates an awful lot of things. Mm-hmm. So look, I, I, when I moved to London, um, the accounting firm said, come and work for us. And I said, look, I clearly want to be in the music industry, Mm. but I need a part-time job in London while I'm studying my postgrad at Royal College of Music, which I did on viola. And again, pretty much knew I wasn't going to be a viola player, but thought I just need to be as good as I can be so that for the rest of my life I can play what I want to play. And I don't regret that. You know, seven hours a day practice for 12 months at the Royal College was quite a a full-on thing, but quite extraordinary for your own development. Um, but whilst at music college, there was a poster on the wall, wanted two violins, viola, cello, call Rob. I rang Rob. <laughs> I got into a girl band. I had a record deal. Um, my rowing continued and I, um, became a coxswain and tried out for the Sydney Olympics. Yeah. So I was 
you know, literally sport and music were my world, working part-time <laughs> for an accounting firm. And look, that all went a bit interesting and there's a story there, but it it sent me on a path to run away to Australia. Don't try and be too business-minded in a girl band. That's all I want to say. <laughs> okay, okay. If you start asking who's paying for it and they don't want to tell you it's you, then, you know, it's not going to go particularly well. Yeah. So ran away to Perth, Western Australia. But by wow. that point, I realised that my heart and soul was in music, that I understood that business could facilitate things. So threw myself into the corporate world, did an MBA and came out the other end working in an engineering firm of all places, uh, which I loved. God, the way engineers think is quite extraordinary, actually. Um, But by the end of all of that, realized that I had the skills and confidence and determination to go it alone. Mm. And the big gap that I saw was that a lot of Western Australian people never went to a symphony orchestra and didn't remotely even think that it mattered. And I can assure you that having symphonic music in your life, crank up something loud this afternoon, everyone who's listening to this, in your cars, just pick any orchestral music and you will see what I mean. Um, And that I had to stop the exodus of talent from WA. So that's Mm -hmm. the journey that got me to where I am today. I feel like... um there's, there should be a separate podcast about the the girl band and uh, your <laughs> journey to um, try out for the Sydney Olympics. I think that's uh, oh, there remarkable. There are so many great stories, <laughs> let me tell you. You're right. That's another podcast. But actually, you know, the if, if someone says, you know, what's the most profound influence on you as, as today – you know, it is both sport and music. Yeah. It's never all. And, you know, I feel mm. that so many people at school feel that they need to be sporty mm. or arty or even now, you know, you're going to work every day. You've constantly got to choose, well, I've got to go to the gym or stay fit. So I won't ever join a choir. I won't mm. pick up an instrument. And they think it's an or and it, it really needs to be an and. Yeah. Because everyone's life would be infinitely better. I like that. That's Absolutely. Great, yeah. I think so too. Going back to like a young Bobby. Um, back in school days, um, was is it, is it assumed that sport and music were your favourite subjects then? Look, I was, I would never, not traditionally sporty. Oddly enough, I would describe myself as distinctly uncompetitive. <laughs> you know, like I loved doing things for the joy of doing them, never to win. And it wasn't important for me to be a winner at school at all. Um, and in fact, didn't particularly enjoy sport. Um, you know, I was always extremely active. If you grow up in the country, you disappear at dawn. And you go and build tree houses and swim in the river and, you know, <laughs> you, you go back at dusk, you know. So yeah, yeah. Um, you're very, very active. And I was always a very outdoorsy human and danced a lot as well, um, you know, and that kind of thing. But no organized. I'd say that, in fact, I might have hidden in the change rooms during sport a few times. <laughs> so, um, which is, you know, really strange. And again, music wasn't a sort of an organized thing. It was something that you joined and participated in. Yeah. It wasn't standing in a room practicing on your own. I was rubbish at practicing because I'm such a social animal that standing in a room on my own was just pointless. And I, I'm not even going to get into why I think some music education could do with a bit of a kick but um you know yeah so look the 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 music and sport were hugely important from being active and connected but I didn't define them as things that I did and needed to succeed at so yeah sure amazing so Bobby have you already taken us through I guess a bit of school university your first job what happened from there the career wise up so appreciate all that I guess take us back just to really consolidate for the WA startup community why did you move into a startup business? Gosh, um, and I'm sure everybody out there will have their own reason, but it is most definitely the meeting. It's the perfect storm. And I'm sure we all have that one moment where that storm happens, yeah. where different elements collide. Um, first thing, sadly, I got divorced. So suddenly 
it wasn't me contributing into a partnership that needed contributing. Um, it was suddenly I'm on my own and the only person who's going to suffer if I earn nothing for a couple of years is me. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge thing for me. Um, and I you know, didn't have children at the time. So that was suddenly, wow, okay. Like I really can, I don't have to just keep my life going in the same trajectory that it has been. I'm now on a limb and I have, I can create a new future and felt I needed to redefine myself, which I think a lot of people do after a relationship breakdown. Yeah. The fact that um, there was such a massive opportunity. So Western Australia, you know, we have a city of, Perth has a city of 2 million people outside mm. of London. That would make it by far the biggest city in the UK. So Manchester, you know, has 600,000 people and four orchestras. Oh. So in terms of, you know, population versus access to music, we are still way underserved okay. in WA. So the op- this is a ripe place for starting arts and entertainment mm. and still is, still is. So right. those kind of situations of what was needed, my personal circumstance, all of that came together at the same time. All right. I guess as, a, as an extension to that question, what do you know now that you wish you had known before or earlier? Oh my God, so many actually. <laughs> no, really, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, asking for help, asking for money, thinking big. As Oddly enough, and people laugh at this, I am risk averse. Yeah. I am completely risk averse. And I didn't, I could have just gone to hell with it and thrown, you know, sold the house and thrown everything, um, you know, at the orchestra, but I'm too risk averse to do that. And if I asked someone for money, I'd ask them for 20 grand, not 2 million. And if I asked for help, I'd ask them if they could volunteer at the front of house for a concert. I wouldn't be like, I need you to introduce me to 40 key business people. You know what I mean? Mm. So everything I asked and did and wanted was humble and little and tiny and meek. And I just on every level wish that I'd completely gone for it and been audacious and set an immense vision. You know, I sort of started out saying, look, you know, I think we could reach a few more communities in the north of south of Perth in the outer suburbs that really need music. And I should have just gone, we need to take Australia and the world by storm and create a model here that the rest of the world can look at and go, how did they do that? Mm. And I now know that we can. I didn't know that back then. (laughs) So it was the the BHAGs again, the the, the big, hairy, audacious vision is such a exciting, compelling, motivating thing that people will connect with. So I should have just declared what was in my head and heart as opposed to being too scared to put it out there. That is great to hear. Um, What advice would you give to other founders? Look, if they've already founded it, keep going. (laughs) Um, Look, I'm on a new trajectory and, oh, I've had some, you know, one particularly very big slap in the face last week. And instead of spending six months worrying about it, talking to people, breaking it down, analyzing it, which I would have done at the start of Per Symphony, I've gone, "Hmm, great, okay, move on. You you become so resilient and you realize that for every stumble, is something brilliant around the corner because you are going to keep it going, you know. So all of those founders and startups out there just understand that it's a 49, 51, 51% of the time it works and 49% of the doesn't and therefore it will succeed because it's worked more than it hasn't. <laughs> yeah. But it's a hugely, you know, you've just got to dig in and make sure that you laugh a bit at the the journey to stay, to stay on track because it, it is beyond worth it. Excellent, excellent. Bobby, to finish off, we are going to move into a rapid quickfire round. A few questions, perhaps a very quick, short answer per question, if we may. First thing that comes to mind. Got it. (laughs) Chris. Let's start. Um, What's the single most important factor that makes a startup successful? A big vision. If you were to wave your magic wand over the local startup scene, what would you wish into being? More investment. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, who do you most admire in the local tech scene? A company and or a person? Oh, look, it has to be Canva as a company. Yeah. You know, Amazing. that's just yeah. shown, that's given us all hope that we can be that big. <laughs> How can anyone listening help you or Perth Symphony Orchestra moving forward? Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm breaking big news on that platform all the time and sharing my journey and sharing what I need as it arises. So, um, you know, please, please follow me, like me, um, join, join me because I'm better together. All right, I'll connect with you soon. Um, what do you do to get away from it all? Relax and refresh. Um, changing your house changes your life. I bought a house in Kundal. If you don't know where that is, Google it, C-O-O-N-D-L-E. <laughs> it's paradise. Um, that is my happy place and that new house has given me, It's we bought it two years ago, has changed my world and enabled me to think far bigger and clearer than I ever could before. Amazing. Bobby. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your insights and uh, being authentic with us. So I can't thank you enough. We'd like to wish you all the best for your future. So once again, thank you. Huge thanks from me. It's been a joy to chat to you guys. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Bobby. Also, thanks to our sponsors. Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Spacecube, Curtin University, the City of Perth, RSM and TechOn. We recorded this podcast at Rift Podcast Studios in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia. Don't forget to subscribe to Startup West on your favorite podcast platform so our latest episodes appear in your feed. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you.